All right, well, good morning. Thanks for hanging out with us today. It is great to see you. Uh, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, uh, it's just great to be able to celebrate with you. Listen, we, we hope that, that Sunday morning is a part of your week that you look forward to. Um, one of the things that we say is one of our core values is we want our worship experience on Sunday to influence our lives on Monday and through the rest of the week, um, and also that that would be something we look forward to. We want this to be a time where you can come and you can take time to pray and take time to learn and take time to worship with one another, and we hope that that's an exciting part of your week that you want to be a part of every week. So one thing that I want to let you know before we get started today is we are kicking off our first equip class after our worship experience today. So we're going to start around 11.30, and then we'll go to about 12.30. Some of you have already registered for that. Um, Some of you haven't. You're welcome to come today and kind of see what that's about, what that's like. We're going through some topics that are related to apologetics, why we believe what we believe, and then also how we look at those things and then apply them to culture. So if you were unsure about that, today's a good day to sit in. It's an overview. We're going to talk through some things, and then in a couple of weeks, we're going to get into a lot more detail and a lot more of the topics and content uh, that we're going to see. So if you'd like to hang out today and kind of feel that out, you're welcome to stay. It'll be right here uh, at 11.30 to 12.30 today. So, but for the last few weeks, we've been, like Braden said, we've been in this uh, sermon series called Dear Church. And that sermon series, we've been walking through the very first part of Revelation, And in in Revelation 1 and 2, there are letters that are written to churches. Now, remember, these churches have been established already. They've been around for a little while. And Jesus is now giving this information to John, his apostle, um, who is going to relay this information to the churches. By the way, I don't think I said this a few weeks ago, but when John is writing these words, he's exiled on an island. Now, for some of us, that sounds great, right? Let me just go to an island where it's and there's a beach and I can hang out, right? This was not actually a vacation for him, though. He had been sent there because he was preaching the gospel. And so basically they said, we're just going to kick you out and send you away. Some of the apostles were killed for what they were doing. John got sent to the island and he died there. But while he's there, he gets this information and he gets to relay some of this to the churches. So just as a reminder, we'll put up a a map here so that you can kind of see where we were. So I forgot my laser pointer today. I was going to use it and point to things, but you can kind of see Ephesus is down right in the middle of the screen there. And then we went up to Smyrna. Um, and then pastor Tim was here last week and he did Pergamum, which is the very Northern city on the map. Um, and then down to Thyatira, that's how you say that. And so today's church number four, and that is Thyatira. So If you would like to follow along today, you can uh, open your Bible or open your phone or your tablet. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. By the way, guys, I think there's a little bit of a buzz coming through with my mic. If you could clean that up, that'd be great. So uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. You can also go to our website, which is mygracefamily.church, and you can follow on there. We think that's the best way to follow along is to go to our follow along page, and you'll have all the notes and verses. And by the way, some people have said to me, does that page stay up? Like, can I get to that later? The answer is no, because every follow-along each week is not the same. So if you want to keep the notes, you can actually email them to yourself, or there's something that you want, um, you can email them to yourselves and keep up with it that way. So in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 18. So here's what verse 18 says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Remember, Braden just read that for us, right from chapter 1. This is how Jesus describes himself. Go on in verses 20 and 21. Or sorry, yeah, no, 19. 
I, I didn't give you 19, did I? I missed it. All right, we'll go to 20 and 21. Sorry, it won't be up there. We'll go to 20 and 21. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Verse 22, therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. 23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. 24, but I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them, but depths of Satan, actually. I will, I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what, to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations, and they will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Verses 28 and 29. They will have the same authority I received from my father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. All right. This is kind of loaded. There's a lot of information here. There may have been some stuff that you read or heard me read and you went, oh, that sounds a little bit mean or sounds a little bit harsh, right? And there's some things that we read that we, we're kind of wrestling with and trying to figure out. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to go back through piece by piece and look at what's, what's here. And some of this stuff, by the way, is a little bit more allegorical. It's a little bit more Jesus is, is giving us examples of how we understand things. It's not necessarily literal, literal and that's kind of the case with Revelation at times, but there's some very deep truth that we can pull from this and understand as we look at the situation that the church in Thyatira was going through. And I think, actually, this is just my opinion, that this letter to the church of all the seven is the easiest, I think, to connect to our context. And I don't just mean context as in us at GFC in New Holland, but us as the church in America, uh, the American church. I think this is the easiest one for us to connect, and I'll kind of help us understand this. But a couple weeks ago, when I was talking about the church in Smyrna, I said that the church in Smyrna was a difficult place for Christians. The same thing is true of Thyatira. It was a very difficult place for Christians to live. And why is that? Well, Smyrna, it was because the Romans and the Jews were kind of teaming up to attack the church. And that happened throughout the ancient world a lot, but it was specifically bad in Smyrna. Well, Thyatira has its own little bit of a different flavor to it. And here's why it was more difficult for Christians there than maybe other places. Thyatira was famous for its guilds, or what that means is like basically organizations that would work together. So what would happen in this particular location more so than others is that when you had a certain trade or you had something you were working on, you would connect with other people that did that same trade or were in that same business, and you would build your business together. Now, we understand that. We see that in our world. If your business is doing well and this business is doing well and we can come together and be even, even better, then that's great. We see that happen, and that's a good thing to do. But the problem for Christians in Thyatira was that most of these guilds, if not all of them, also had some form of idol worship attached to them. 
So the understanding in the ancient world, by the way, Christianity was was kind of on the outskirts of this. Like this was not normal that someone would worship only one God. Usually they worshiped multiple deities. And so there would be certain deities that would have certain influences or have certain ways of blessing you if you made them happy. So they would build these guilds and they would say, okay, well, we're really good at this or that. And we would come together and we'll worship this God. And if we please this God, then that God will make us prosperous. What's the problem for Christians there? They can't get involved in these guilds because if they're going to be involved in them, then they also have to worship the idol or the deity that that guild has decided to worship. So now all of a sudden you've got a bunch of different people and organizations and guilds that just all worship these different things and you're trying to do business with them and they want to be a part of the guild, but they can't because they would have to worship someone else. And so this idol worship was something that was a struggle for those in Thyatira, especially Christians, to have to navigate because even in their business, they needed to worship something in order maybe for their business to be profitable. And so let's go back to our verses. Let's go back to 19, which I, you didn't see earlier because I forgot to put it in there the first time. But in Revelation 2.19, he says this, I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Now, let's, let's pause there for a minute. If you were sitting across from Jesus having coffee, and you said, Jesus, give me, an, give me honest feedback. How am I doing? And he said this to you. That would go pretty well, right? I see all the things you do. I've seen, I see love, your faith, your service, your patient. And he says, and I can see you're consistently getting better across all of these like, this is great. You couldn't really ask for your conversation with him to start off any better. You would even want this kind of conversation if you're sitting down with your boss for your yearly review, right? They say, you're, you're doing good, this, 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 and I can see that you're getting better in all of those areas. That's great. So the conversation actually starts really well for them. And I think this is an important time to point out when these conversations are being had with these churches, when Jesus is giving this information, when he says things are going poorly or better for, for some churches and others, it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole church has fallen into this problem, right? The, the point of church, and this is one of the great things about building a community, is that when someone starts to go astray, others of us who love and care about them can kind of bring them back in, right? We can re-guide, redirect, help them to understand. And so he says, listen, most of you are doing really well. But then verses 20 and 21 get worse, right? He says, but I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. There's a lot in these two verses. We got to unpack a little bit, okay? So you're doing well, Jesus says, all these things. But he says, I got one problem. We got one thing we got to fix. He says, you're permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself prophet. Now, her name probably wasn't actually Jezebel, okay? Jezebel is a name that we see, we see show up a few times in Scripture. The first time we see it show up um, is in 1 Kings chapters 16 and 22. And so this, is, this was the literal Jezebel. She was a wife of King Ahab. Ahab was not a good king. Okay, he did a lot of things wrong. He was not the type of leader God wanted Israel to have. And one of the things that he did was he took Jezebel as a wife. Jezebel was a Baal worshiper. And so she led him to worship Baal as well. And he would go so far not just to worship 
Baal, but he would actually create statues to him and create other idols. And so obviously this is a problem because he's supposed to be king of Israel. Now this is, that's not true. Like he is king of Israel, but he's supposed to be not worshiping idols and that's what he's doing. So we see that as the literal way, but then in Revelation 18, we see this same kind of idea idea show up, but again, she's figurative. So when Jesus mentions Jezebel here in Revelation 2, he's calling back to a story that these people probably would have known. They would have realized, okay, when this name pops up, this is the type of thing that's happening. Somebody is leading us away or leading people in our church away. And so it's this picture that Jesus creates of someone who's leading them into idol worship, into something that they should not be doing. So he says that she calls herself a prophet, right? And then Jesus goes on to say, to lead my servants astray. Again, important piece. These are not people necessarily that that would not consider themselves followers of Jesus. These are people that Jesus calls his servants. So sometimes we see, I think, in in my mind, maybe I do this, maybe you do this too. There's this line drawn of like, either I worship Jesus or I worship something else. And there's no middle ground. I think at times the case can be, we can call ourselves followers of Jesus and we can say we worship him only, but then at times we end up worshiping something else. And so these people that they're talking about would actually have been people that probably if you sat down and said to them, are you a follower of Jesus? They would have said, absolutely. You believe it's God? Yes. But then there was something else that they were worshiping included. He goes on and says, she teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Now this picture, um, or this idea of sexual sin, was probably not a literal one. They probably, when you look at the words that are used there, they weren't the words that were actually used to say that it was a literal physical sin. It was more so the idea that she was, again, leading to idol worship. Well, why does Jesus use that word? Why, why, if it wasn't just somebody that was, uh, you know, in, in these acts within the church, why would he use these words? And I think it's very simple. I think Jesus sees idolatry as a cheating bride. See, when the church decides, or when we decide that we're going to worship something other than him, it says though we're cheating on him. Jesus calls the church his bride, right? He loves us. He died for us. There's going to be this marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, this is all a word picture, right, where we're in this relationship with Jesus. And when the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is later in Revelation, when that happens, the goal is that we then are united with Christ forever, never to be separated from him again. And so when we think about this, when we see idolatry in Scripture, why would Jesus use such strong words to describe it? It's as though those of us who are married or in a dating relationship, it's as though they are cheating on us. Jesus uses this for us to understand the depth of pain that it brings him when someone worships something other than him, especially when they are people who say they worship him, who would describe themselves as Christ followers. And so the problem we see with this person that Jesus calls Jezebel is that she begins to lead them into other activities and lead them into things that are other than Jesus. That are, yeah, you can, it seems as though they would say that they are followers of Jesus, but there's also going to be something added to this. And I think this is easy for us to do. I think it's easy for us as followers of Jesus to say, yes, I follow Jesus, but there almost needs to be like a qualifier, So like if I follow Jesus, there's also going to be this other thing that I do or this other thing that I expect or this other thing that I think would be the case. 
And when we do that, we create this equation, right? We would say the gospel is Jesus plus and then fill in the blank. We're going to come back to this a little bit later as we try and kind of apply this. But the problem with seeing this equation and filling that equation instead of just saying there is nothing else added on to Jesus is that adding anything else to the equation creates a false gospel. So when we add a qualifier to Jesus or elevate something else and connect it with Jesus, the problem is that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is simply and only worshiping Jesus and offering our lives to him. And when we allow other things to get in there and vie for our worship or our attention, it brings us to a place where we start to worship something that's false and not merely worshiping Jesus. And so Jesus, Jesus says, this is, this is a problem. This needs to end. And so he gives us the answer to this. What are we going to do about it? Verse 22. He says, Therefore I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. It's strong words, right? Jesus comes in and he doesn't mince his words. He's like, this is a problem and we're going to fix it. How are we going to fix it? Now remember, this is all going off, this is an allegory. This is something that's a word picture. He's helping us understand what happens. So when Jesus says this, he says in 23, right, I will strike her children dead. He's not actually striking children dead. That's not what's happening. So when we read that, it can be difficult to say, okay, what is Jesus doing? Now all of a sudden Jesus is striking striking children dead. That's not the actual case. What he's saying is, we're going to get rid of this. We're going to make sure that those who commit adultery with her or those who are part of this idol worship with her are going to get what they deserve. And we're going to make sure that the product of this practice, what's going to happen, is not going to then go to other churches. Now, we read this again, and if we take it at face value, it can, it can make us kind of be like, what is happening? This is a little bit too strong for me. I don't like this. But here's what I would say. We want a just God. We want that to be the case. We want God to be someone who upholds justice, who is justice, who knows right from wrong. And when Jesus says, listen, I'm going to make sure that people, especially these people that are sinning against me, are going to get what they deserve, we don't like that. It doesn't land well. Like, Jesus is going to make sure you get what you deserve. That sounds like an angry God, right? But here's what I know to be true. If you're a parent there should be consequences when our kids do something wrong, right? Why? Because it might not be just wrong, but they could get hurt or they could end up down a bad path or there could be problems. So when, when parents give consequences to children, that's a positive thing. Jesus does the same thing. He says, if this is going to be the case, if this is the way that you're going to go, there's going to be consequences. And Jesus even says that if, we, if this doesn't end, right, we've given Jezebel time to repent. That probably means that other people in the church have already come alongside her and said, this is wrong, you need to stop. And she says, nope, I'm going to continue to go. So Jesus says, we gave her a chance. If she doesn't stop, we're going to end this because we want other churches to know that this isn't, a, this isn't okay as well. Because he says, if, if this continues, if it's seen in this church and it's fine, then guess what? Other churches are going to see it and go, oh, that's cool. That's what we should do. And Jesus says, this is not my gospel. Remember, Jesus says this is as bad to him as a cheating bride. 
he wants it to end. He wants that understanding of Jesus plus something else, this idol worship or whatever's happening. He says, I want that gone because I don't want anybody else to be led astray. Why? Because if they're led astray, somebody could come along and say, oh yeah, I worship Jesus, but in order to worship Jesus, I also have to be X, Y, and Z. And if that's not the gospel, then when they come to the end of their life, they're going to get a consequence based on their false belief. And so Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to come down hard on this issue. We're going to make sure we get rid of it. And we're going to make sure that it doesn't get to other churches. We don't like that. It's not the warm and fuzzy Jesus sometimes we see. But in the same way, I think it's important that he be a just God who upholds what is true so that we know what worship actually is and our relationship with him is not hindered by anything else. In verse 24, he goes on and says this, but I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, the deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually. I will ask nothing more of you except in 25 and 26, except that you hold tightly to what, is, to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, 27, to them I will give authority over all the nations. And they will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Verse 28 and 29, they will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I also give them the morning star. Jesus is the morning star. Anyone who with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. We don't have time to go into all of the symbolism that's there. If you want to do some extra reading, you can go ahead and do that. But we land in a very interesting place. Jesus did kind of this uh, compliment sandwich again, right? He says, you're doing really well at this. We got a problem with Jezebel. We got to get rid of her. But those of you who have continued on this good path, you just keep continuing on. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But I said earlier, I, I think that this situation that we find in Thyatira is something that, would, that is easily applicable to where we find ourselves in this point in history and in our culture. And I think this, I think that some would influence us to adopt another idol to worship. So like when we think about the church in Thyatira, they're not only looking at the culture around them, these guilds that existed that were trying to do business and trying to have prosperity and worshiping this other idol, so they're being tempted maybe to get in on that. But then there's also someone within the church teaching that there's, this idol worship is good and adding that to our worship of Jesus is a positive thing. And so they're, they're dealing with these influences both inside the church and outside the church saying if you add something to Jesus, if you add something to fill in the blank there that we talked about before, your worship, your relationship with Jesus, whatever it was, was going to be better. And I would say that that is some of what we feel in our culture. That there would be those that say you need to worship this or you need to worship that, both inside and outside the church. And so the question for us as we process this is, am I adding anything to the equation? How do I know that? Well, I would say probably, I don't want to assume everybody, but most of us in the room would probably say we're followers of Jesus. Probably. If you don't say that, I'm so glad you're here. But many of us would probably say that. The question is, are there any other things in my life that I am allowing myself to worship. 
Is there anything else that I have elevated in my time, my energy, and my resources to be able to also fill that blank? Does my life say that I simply worship Jesus, or does my life say that I worship Jesus and something else? I can't answer that question for you, right? I can answer it for me. And there are definitely times when I allow other things to show up and say, this is what I'm going to hold as something that I'm going to worship. I'm going to give a lot of time and energy and influence to in my life. And I have to filter through that and understand that that can never be the case. That it should be Jesus and only Jesus. I I took some time to kind of put some things together um, and look at things that maybe we're used to seeing filled into that blank to kind of help us process this. Full warning, some of these things I may frustrate you by saying, just saying, but it might happen. The first thing I thought of, and I think that this is true, I see it all the time, is that we would elevate Jesus and the Constitution and put those two things together. Why does that happen? Well, listen, let me say this first of all, right? Philadelphia is one of my favorite cities on the planet, okay? I will fight for Philly all day long, right? When Becca and I went to visit uh, Philly, we just spent the night in Philly for our 10th anniversary a couple weeks ago. We walked down Market Street just to see the historic district. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. But here's what I know to be true, and here's what I see sometimes, and and I know it's wrong. When our patriotism and our love for Jesus connect and are on the same level, that's a problem. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. Jesus has to be the thing that we worship. Jesus has to be the only person we worship. And when we elevate something else to that same level, that's a problem. And what really kind of brings this out and makes this true or helps us see it in our own lives is when we start to look at other people and say, well, if they do X, Y, and Z, or if they don't do X, Y, and Z, clearly they're not a Christian, or clearly they're not a follower of Jesus. Listen, we can't elevate something to that level. And it's popular in some circles to do that. What about this, too? Prosperity. We do this all the time. People preach this all the time. That if you follow Jesus, you're going to have prosperity. Or if you follow Jesus, you're, you're going to be better. Now, here's what I think is true. I think that if you are a follower of Jesus, is your life going to have more meaning? I would argue yes. If you are a follower of Jesus, are you going to be more fulfilled? Are you going to have a better focus on life? And is your life going to be not just about you, but about other people? Yes, I would argue all of those things are true. But does that mean that every part of my life is always going to be rainbows and butterflies? No. And so this is, the, this is what we see sometimes in, our, in, in American Christianity. It's, it's exactly what they were fighting in Thyatira. That we would maybe elevate this deity in order to leverage him to make our lives better. That's not worshiping Jesus. That's using him to gain something that we want. We see this also in status. People use Jesus to gain status all the time. There's, there can be power and there can be opportunity and all kinds of things attached to Jesus' name. And sometimes those get elevated as well. And the last one I thought of was appearance. Sometimes we really like to use Jesus to make ourselves look good. And that's a problem too. And one of the things that's so I believe to be so true is that if Jesus died for us at our very, very worst, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves look better to him. And we don't have to worry about making ourselves look better to other people. But simply worshiping Jesus is where we find ourselves and where our worship should be focused. You know, if we go back to to verse 19 for just a minute, I think this is so very interesting. 
He says, I know all the things you do, right? This was the first part. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all of these things. He highlights four things. He highlights love, faith, service, and patience. Who does that sound like? Jesus. He loves us more than anything. He's faithful to us through everything. He has served us more than anybody else has served us by coming to earth as a human and then dying for us. And we just sang it in the song that Braden let us in. He is so patient with us. He says, if you do these four things, by the way, they're all fruits of the Spirit. Service, you have to get into the goodness part, but same thing. When we do these four things, Jesus says, I require nothing else of you. You live to look like me. So don't listen to people that come along and say, you have to look like me and you have to X or and you have to Z, right? That's not it. He says, you follow me. And if you live your life to look like me, I require nothing else of you in worship. I just want to end with this idea that, that nothing I contribute would give Jesus any more worth. Nothing I can give is going to give any more worth to Jesus. Nothing I can give is going to make Jesus more valuable to somebody else. It's simply worshiping Jesus. He's all the worth he needs. There's nothing else we can add to that. I think this is a consistent drive to just like reevaluate. What does my life say? What does my life point to as the thing that's most important to me? One of the ways that the people in Thyatira were, were tempted was to elevate economic gain above Jesus. I think that's a trap that's easy to fall into. I think it's something that that prosperity piece, the idea that we have to give ourselves over to something so that we can make money, I, I think that can be something that we struggle with. But when we keep our priorities straight and when we look at the very first thing that Jesus said to them, if we commit ourselves to love, faith, service, and patience, that's when we look the most like Jesus. Don't allow those other things to get in. Don't allow those things. Evaluate, right? What am I worshiping? What is my time and energy and resources going to other than him? Is it with the goal of simply worshiping Jesus? And we need to continue to chase this down. Don't allow that blank to get filled. Just take that blank away and just say, I'm just going to worship Jesus. I'm going to look like him because that's what he's called me to do. Would you pray with me this morning? God, it's, it's very interesting when we can look at places in Scripture where we connect a bit with the situations that people find themselves in. And I think it's easy for us to call ourselves followers of you and, and truly mean that, but also to allow something else to get in the way, to allow something else to fill in the blank we talked about and to elevate something else in our worship with you, and we elevate that to the same place as you when we shouldn't. And I ask that you'd make it clear in our hearts and minds as to what is important to us. 
What do our lives say about what we worship? What do our actions say about what we worship? What do our bank accounts say about what we worship? And that we would elevate nothing else above you. That we would cling to those four things that you said they did well in Thyatira, that we would look like you. And that people would notice that in us. That we are unwilling to worship anything else as much as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.